From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Uh, just in case you missed it, my uh, programming announcement last week, that is, The Conspiracy Show is returning to the old format as of tonight. Uh, one guest per hour. It seems that uh, most of you uh, prefer the, the longer, more in-depth interviews. And I heard you loud and clear. So we are uh, going back to the old format as of tonight. One holdover, however, from the uh, the previous format, we're going to keep our weekly remote viewing experiment. Uh, what's in the box? And we'll get to that in, in just a moment. That's the other thing that I heard loud and clear is that most of you, and I received hundreds of emails and tweets and so forth, you wanted me to keep the remote viewing experiment, and so we'll do that. Uh, first hour tonight, Bill Burns is a great writer and is equally gifted in uh, storytelling on, on radio. I just, I could listen to Bill Burns talk all night, and uh, we have him only for an hour. He's here to tell us about one of the great rivalries in history. Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, two inventors who really straddle the 20th century like a colossus. Most of us know about their competing visions of electricity. Tesla, of course, advocated for AC, alternating current, and Edison advocated for direct current. But both inventors were also working on another device simultaneously, a device that much of the public was and remains unaware of, a device that would allow for communication with the spirit world. And Bill Burns has done really a masterful job in chronicling all this in a brand new book, Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. And Bill will uh, share this remarkable story in just moments. A quick heads up, second hour, paranormal UFO time traveler, shaman, psychic, interfaith minister. My word, she wears a lot of hats. First lady of guitar? No, just kidding. But she, she, she is all of those other things that I mentioned. Maria Dandria will join us to reveal how to connect with the subtle realm and have the divine intervention of angels improve the quality of your life. She can also reverse the evil eye and cast spells for creating a positive life. Now, the evil eye, this is something that I'm very uh, interested in, having married into the Greek culture, of course, the mighty Aphrodite, Greek. So I know all about the evil eye. And actually, the, the not too long ago, I guess it was this past spring, the mighty Aphrodite, my lovely bride, actually guest hosted the program and she talked about the evil eye. So now it's my turn. All right. First, before we get to the uh, the main course, let me introduce the boys in the band. Our fine rockabilly friend Ian Robertson, my technical producer, is off sick tonight. Uh, and we want to send our best wishes and prayers out to uh, Ian for a speedy recovery. In his stead on lead guitar, Nathan Davidson, Nathaniel Davidson. Uh, Nathaniel, welcome, and uh, thanks for stepping into the breach. Uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar, and occasionally the theremin, a story producer, and occasional remote viewer, Albert Vinzel is with us. And finally, on the Hammond B3, feature producer, Ryan White. Gents, thanks for all you do. Now, quickly, it's time for our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? Remote viewers, please pay close attention. Here are your coordinates. The object is hidden from view in the cigar box to my left, here in studio at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue. 
in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All right, now, don't guess. This is important. Allow the shape, size, texture, and color of the object to form in your mind. And remember, you must tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett, and you must use the hashtag TCS Remote to qualify. TCS, as in the conspiracy show, to qualify. And to the remote viewer or remote viewers who successfully suspends time and space and identifies the object in the cigar box, I have Volume 2 of my Strange Planet collection on CD. Strange Planet Collection on CD, Volume 2. Again, send your answers to me at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. Good luck, and the big reveal comes just after the bottom of this hour. All right. Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, two men who largely created the 20th century, were were bitter rivals, one credited with developing alternating current, the other pushed for direct current. Uh, But both of these geniuses also shared a quest to talk with the dead. That's right. Both these giants were working on some type of spirit phone. Co-author of uh, Edison versus Tesla, The Battle Over Their Last Invention, uh, Bill Burns is a New York Times best-selling author, a magazine publisher, a New York literary publishing agent. He's written and edited over 25 books and encyclopedias in the fields of human behavior, true crime, current affairs, history, psychology, business, computing, and the paranormal. Bill Burns, welcome. How are you? Do we have Bill Burns there? Maybe one of you gentlemen could run in the other room and pull up the pot, because I think Bill is there, but he's not hearing me. All right. We have a little bit of a technical glitch. Bill, if you can hear me, I will be with you in one second. Albert is running into the other studio. Hey, this is live radio. you got to love it, folks. All right. Do we have Bill here? Can you hear me, Bill? All right. We're working on it. Albert's on the board. All right. No Bill Burns? Okay, Bill, just stay put. And are you there, Bill? Yes, I am. Okay. it's Hey, you know what? If only we had a spirit phone, I could have reached you without uh, using wires and a Dixie cup and a string. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. And thanks for inviting me to the show. My pleasure. We should also mention uh, your co-author, Joel Martin. Yes, Joel uh, and I have written... Uh, this is our one, two, three, four, fifth book. Wow. All right. So he's like Lennon and McCartney. When you find somebody you like to work with, you stick with that person. That's true. And you All just right. hope Yoko doesn't come around. <laughs> There's always a Yoko. Uh, so Tesla and Edison, I mean, they couldn't have been really more different, these two. You had, of course, Tesla, Serbian immigrant to the United States. Edison grew up in Ohio. His father, I understand, was a, was a Canadian. Um, he's a, um, he was kind of living in exile in the U.S., wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, Edison's father was actually an illegal immigrant um, from Canada. Aha, all right. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about, uh, we don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but just give us kind of a, uh, a thumbnail sketch of each of these, these gentlemen, Edison uh, and, and Tesla, because as I say, very, very different. Well, they were both very different people to begin with, but um, Edison uh, realized at a very young age, or a very young age for an inventor, that you don't invent something that nobody wants. I mean, (laughs) 
sounds kind of basic, but the first thing Edison put together, one of the first inventions Edison came up with was an electronic voting machine. Wow. And he tried to sell it to um, a bunch of political parties, a bunch of politicians. But the politicians wouldn't buy it because their answer was, why would you buy a machine to register votes that you couldn't change? <laughs> so Edison realized you've got to sell your inventions to the right audience. That brilliant, actually, when you think of it. Yeah, he, because he, he really blended a brilliant mind with a keen business sense. He invented, he invented modern technological marketing. So for all the great inventions from the middle of the, tw- from the beginning of the 20th century, right through the 21st century, they all followed Edison's, um, Edison's model, which was find a market. Define that market and the, and, and the consumers in that market, figure out what that market needs, then invent something and sell it into that market. So he's the guy who invented the modern motion picture industry, the modern telephone industry. Alexander Graham Bell invented the first telephone, but Edison perfected it. And he invented the modern recording industry. So the three biggest industries today all combined into your device in your pocket on a smartphone, thanks to Thomas Edison. Tesla was absolutely different. Tesla was a cutting-edge inventor. He believed that inventions should push the envelope of human experience. So he was looking at ways to distribute free power, the wireless transmission of radio waves, the wireless transmission of video, and the discovery, the search for the discovery of new radio frequencies that would capture the voices of the dead. But at the same time, he invented the modern municipal power grid based on alternating current, and he invented the modern transformer. So, as you say, very different. Edison was almost like, I guess, if he were alive today, he'd be like a Steve Jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, they all take a page from Edison. Mark Zuckerberg, for example, started Facebook as a dating app for Harvard students. And it grew and grew, and people realized, wow, this was a real great way to meet other people and communicate with people wirelessly. Um, Steve Jobs reinvented the modern computer. Bill Gates, another fabulous story about being in college. In college, he realized that the language, the computer language, being taught by George Kemeny, basic, uh, could be a language anybody could use to program micro, uh, computers. Then when the Altair 4 computer came out, what Bill Gates did was he took, it was um, open source, copyright free, that language brought it to the Altair 4, and the, and, and the modern age of personal computing began. So all three people realized what the market was, they had an inspiration for what could satisfy the needs of that market, created that device, and that became Facebook, Microsoft, 
an Apple computer. There you go. And Tesla, uh, God bless his soul, was uh, kind of ahead of the curve, but maybe over, you know too he- ahead of the curve for his own good in terms of at least certainly his financial security. Absolutely. Tesla tried to convince J.P. Morgan that wireless electricity, the wireless transmission of electric power, would be the golden age of the future. Free power for everyone. No longer having to pay for power. You just flip the switch and the power comes on. All right, Bill, i got to jump in here. We'll take a quick time out when we come back. We'll continue to delve into Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison, and the battle of their final invention. Bill Burns stays with us for the hour. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Not My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, welcome back. Bill Burns is uh, with us. We are talking Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. Um, the the whole battle between AC and DC, uh, I mean... Edison was uh, was not above uh, playing some I would I would call it some dirty pool uh, in terms of trying to convince the public that uh, DC was the better way to go. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, Edison was underhanded in the way he approached the whole uh, competition between AC and DC, and he was um, first of all Edison had invested heavily in direct current because he'd already built a power station. He'd built a power supply facility in New York State, so what he wasn't about to do is change everything just because Tesla came up with an idea for alternating current. But there was a real distinction between the two when it came to the amount of power along the supply lines. One of the things that Edison argued was that because alternating current had such a high power that if For example, somebody touched a power line, the person would be immediately executed. Tesla's response, Tesla's, how his fix was that he invented the the, uh, transformer, and the transformer basically steps down the power from the supply line to the individual house so that the voltage is, it'll shock you, but it's safe. Right. But to prove his point... What Edison did was he arranged a demonstration. He went to New York State. His lab was in New Jersey, in uh, Menlo Park. He went to New York State, and he said, do you have a prisoner on death row that you're about to execute? And they said, yes, we do. And he says, well, the guy's name was Richard Kamler. He was a murderer. And Edison said, let me build you an execution device. I'll do it for nothing and it'll save you all the money. Well, the dev- it was a trick. The trick was that Edison was going to use full-power alternating current into a chair that would kill the person. And so he would demonstrate that alternating current was lethal. So Edison hired a, a construction expert, actually built a chair, and then he wired it with direct alternate with alternating current, full-on alternating current. Now, Westinghouse, who had invested in 
Nikola Tesla's alternating current protest, and he said, you know, this is, this is false advertising, because nobody's ever going to be touching a full-bore alternating current line, but Edison prevailed, and they built the chair. Now, this could have been a scene out of the Tom Hanks movie, Stephen King's Green Mile, right, right. where um, they sat the prisoner down, they strapped the prisoner in, they wired him up, they put the, over his head, they put that cap over his head, and they threw the switch. And what happened was the prisoner started to burn. Smoke arose from the chair, but the prisoner didn't die. He was in convulsions, but he didn't die. Oh, dear. Then they did it again. Finally, the person's heart stopped. Well, the New York papers said the prisoner was Westinghoused. Oh, oh, oh. And so that was how Edison tried to prove that alternating current was lethal. But Tesla got his revenge, because when it came time for the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, Tesla bid to light the whole World's Fair for $1.1 million. Well, the people in Chicago said, we can't do that. that. That's outrageous. We can't spend that much money. Tesla said, fine, I'll cut the price in half. Edison said it. I'll cut the price in half. That was GE. And he thought that doing that would basically guarantee him the job, the contract. What he didn't know was that Tesla came in with a bid at 400000 He won the bid. So that was this real, almost violent anger from Edison to Tesla for outbidding him on the Chicago World's Fair. And of course, it was a major success. It was the city of light. And that's how Tesla was able to show that alternating current was perfectly safe and brilliant. Sure enough, alternating current, which is what we use today, won out. But Edison wasn't finished. By the, by the year 1920, this is after World War One, when the United States, yeah, was in mourning over the loss of an entire generation of young people. Just in mourning. People, families, wives who lost their husbands, parents lost their children, lost their sons. And Edison saw that market. He was fascinated by the new science of the period that we could talk about, but he saw a market, the market of the bereaved. And he thought... Gee, if all this talk about quantum mechanics and uh, the fact that quantum mechanics have an attraction among them, uh, Einstein's spooky action at a distance, if that's true, then maybe these life units that make up human consciousness could be contacted after death. You don't need a Ouija board, you don't need tea leaves, you don't need a wrapping, wrappings on a table. You need a scientific device. And that scientific device is a pencil-thin, narrow light beam. And if I can just induce the consciousness of a recently deceased person to cross that light beam, that'll register on a meter. And if it registers on a light meter and I can see that dial move, I'll know that there is consciousness after death. Didn't Edison, wasn't Edison also inspired by a near-death experience of his own? Right. That would come at the end of his life. That would come uh, around the year 1930. But this was a full 
five or so years, ten years before that. Right. But Edison, it sounds like, and based on what I'm reading from your book, that Edison wasn't wasn't a, a believer necessarily in the paranormal. He believed that all of this could be explained scientifically. Absolutely correct. Edison believed that there was that there was no such thing as the paranormal. There was only the normal that for uh, for which science we had not discovered yet, and that was Edison's quest. Edison's quest was to turn the paranormal into the normal by exploring it with science and proving that there was a science to what everybody was claiming was spirituality. That was his ultimate, that was one of his ultimate goals. And so that's exactly what he tried to do. So he built this device, but he had to make sure, he had no way of knowing if how to bring the consciousness of a dead person across that beam of light. That's why he hired mediums, clairvoyants, trance channelers to use their respective forms of kung fu to induce a clutch of electrons to cross that beam of light, get pinged by the photons in the beam of light, and prove that science can demonstrate that there, that we do not die, that consciousness lives after the death of the body. Bill Burns is with us, and uh, he is the author of, or co-author of, Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. I'm trying to imagine if the the press or the uh, the board of directors or the shareholders at Apple, for example, got wind that Steve Jobs was seeing a psychic or was making decisions based on tarot card readings. I mean, was there blowback for Edison when or if word got out about his, his latest work? Absolutely true. What happened was there were stockholders in GM, in, I'm sorry, GE, there were uh, politicians, even his own family. And worse, America was very much a puritanical country in 1920. And church groups and the 1920s version of the moral majority, remember, what happened right after the war was that the um, church groups had successfully managed to prohibit the sales of alcohol in America. So you're dealing with America during the age of prohibition, when um, people were going into um, bars and going into distilleries and, and, and breaking open the barrels and pouring out the liquor in the street. This was that time. And so people began writing to Edison, accusing him of communicating with the spirits, communicating with demons. They accused him of being a demonologist. Stockholders in GM wrote to the board saying, what are you allowing this man to do? He's, he's actually destroying the value of my stock. He's destroying the value of the company. And so the board turned on Edison, and Edison's family said, what are you doing? What are you experimenting like this for? Don't you see the reaction in public? So the experiment ended because of popular resistance to the idea of talking to the dead. They thought Edison was somehow satanic when he was doing that. Didn't they, didn't they uh, all mentions of his work, wasn't that expunged from his journals and so forth as well? Yes, Edison wrote 
um, a very lengthy chapter on life units and communicating with the dead and the whole nature of life and extraterrestrials as well. How human beings were formed from floating life units across the galaxy that, uh, that came to Earth. He argued that rocks were alive, that dirt and soil was alive, that everything was composed of life units. We couldn't understand some of those life units, but everything was alive. Well, the family was so frightened by what Edison was writing. Were these the delusions of a 70-year-old man? What was going on here? So what they did was they expunged, they cut those chapters out of his journal. Well, one of the things that happened was a very early version of that journal with that chapter included was published in France. And a number of people in France retranslated that back into English and it made its way back into the United States. But that is called the Lost Journal of Thomas Edison. And it's available now. Anybody can read it. And, and how about uh, we're heading into a break in a few minutes? But uh, and 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 conversely, Tesla was a, was a big believer in the paranormal, was he not? Oh, absolutely. Tesla believed that ideas would come to him in dreams. He believed in dream visitations and dream visions. He believed that in uh, uh, that inspiration could be um, psychically received, and so as a result, he. Made him, he was an early believer in what today we call remote viewing. And he believed that uh, there were extraterrestrials that communicated with us. In fact, even a hundred years before C-SETI, the search for extraterrestrials, Tesla did that with his radio frequencies, sending out these bizarre, these, these, uh, these um, odd radio frequencies out into space with messages to alien worlds saying, communicate with us. Wow. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. Again, so, so ahead of his time, but again, too ahead of the curve for his own good. Uh, and so what did Tesla's device, I mean, uh, did he, I mean, he, he wasn't a great note taker, was he, Tesla? He did write in his journals, and he dictated his journals for sure. And he wrote, um, actually, he wrote very copious plans and very copious oh. notes. In fact, one of the most, um, among his famous notes, his, when, when he died, and he died penniless in the New Yorker Hotel in mm-hmm. 1943, roughly about uh, 13 years after Edison, 12 years after Edison, and <clears throat> when he died... The FBI broke into his hotel room, and they took all of his notes, and they sent all of his notes to the Office of Alien Properties. And after the war, uh, actually in 1946, um, the country of the new country of Yugoslavia that was now run by Marshal Tito demanded from the Office of Alien Properties all of Tesla's notes because they were going to do the Nikola Tesla Museum in Belgrade. And all of his notes were sent to Yugoslavia for that museum except for one set of notes. And those were Tesla's notes on anti-gravity. Yes, yes. And where those notes eventually went, those notes went to Nathan Twining, at Wright Field, Nathan Twining, General Nathan Twining, was the head of the Air Materiel Command at Wright Field in Ohio, and he was the officer who received 
the debris from the UFO crash at Roswell. There you go. Bingo. All right, Bill, stay put. We'll come back. The uh, big reveal on our weekly remote viewing experiment is uh, just ahead, and then we'll continue our conversation with Bill Burns, co-author of Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. Stay with us on The Conspiracy Show. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Bill Burns is with us, the co-author of a brand new book, Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. They were both desperately seeking a way to communicate with the dead. Spirit phones, dial a ghost, however you want to put it. We'll get back to our conversation with Bill in just a moment. It's time for the uh, result of the big reveal of our uh, weekly remote viewing experiment called What's in the Box. And uh, let me go over to Ryan here and uh, and find out what people on the Twitter feed are are saying, what the the remote viewers out there. Some great views tonight. Drew sees several nuts and acorn and almond. Alan sees a spool of red thread. A YY sees maybe some fruit or maybe some white and black bars like piano keys or a barcode. Uh, John sees a printed circuit card. Kyle sees a poker chip. Morgan sees a wooden spoon. Daniel sees a DVD. And James sees a cross necklace. Interesting. All right. Who, the last one, his name was? James. James sees a cross necklace. Well, uh... There is a cross involved, but I don't know if we can. Uh, we have a, a king chess piece. Can you see that there on the uh, the YouTube feed? There, a king chess piece. There is a cross on the chess piece. What do you think, gentlemen? A cross. It's, there it's, is a cross. It's I think, decent. I think you know what? I think we have to uh, award James. We're going to send James a uh, volume two of a strange planet. That's a collection of my weekly feature. And uh, we'll get that out to James. If uh, he could contact us uh, through the website and uh, send us his address, we'll get that in the mail very quickly. All right. Thank you all for playing, and uh, we'll uh, pick up the remote viewing experiment uh, not next week, but the following week. All right. Back to Bill Burns. Uh, Bill, we were we were talking about uh, how the FBI and the Office of, uh, uh, of Alien Property swept in. Uh, very quickly after Tesla died at the New Yorker back in 43. I just want to step back. This is a short segment, and we'll circle back to that. But I want to just – I was I can't help thinking how history would have been different, how the world uh, would have been different. Uh, had Tesla and, and um, Edison not had that silly feud, uh, imagine these two working together, cooperating, and uh, instead – what was it? It was kind of a joke or a bet, and Tesla just walked out, and and uh, they never they never collaborated again. What was the source of that feud? Well, the backstory is that uh, Tesla was working in Europe at the time, and Edison was the inventor of his age. This was late 19th century. Edison was the inventor of the age, and it was Tesla's dream to work with Edison because Tesla had conceived, and and here was the of a difference. Tesla conceived of a device where instead of having just a simple a turbine-like electric motor that would generate electricity, he thought that if you could swing that um, the pole between positive and negative alternatively, that's like 
um, walking up a hill. If you're walking along a flat surface, along the flat pavement, you're going to exert a certain amount of energy. But if you're walking up a hill, you have to exert that much more energy to get to the top. And that's the premise that defines alternating current from direct current. Because there's so much more power that's built up by swinging that the, uh, uh, that pole between the positive and the negative, you're building up more and more power. And that drives the current further, and it drives it at a much higher power. That's called potential. What he tried to convince Edison of when he came to the United States specifically to work for Edison was that he would get, it would be more cost efficient to have greater potential generated by your generating motors than it would with direct current. Edison thought he was a fool and said, that's, that's so dangerous, you're going to electrocute people. I don't want to be sued for electrocuting people. What are you, crazy? So that was the basis of their dispute, but Tesla kept on working for him. And then one day, it was late in the week, Edison approached Tesla and said, look, one of my power generators over on Pearl Street is, is failing. I need you to fix it, but it's, it, it's vital that you fix it, vital. If you can fix it so that by Monday morning it's up and running, I'm going to sign a check and I'll let you fill in the zeros. Well, Tesla was enthusiastic. He stayed up for 48 straight hours working on that generator, and he fixed it. And when he said, Mr. Edison, Maestro, I've I, I fixed it. Can I have my check now? And Edison burst out laughing and said, you thought I was serious? I was kidding. Oh, dear. Tesla oh, quit dear. on the spot. Edison thought it was a joke, and Tesla took him seriously. Well, either he thought it was a joke then, after the generators were fixed, or he didn't think it was a joke when the generators were broken. Remember the old story of the doctor and his patient. Patient goes into a doctor's office and is screaming, Doctor, doctor, there's a bone stuck in my throat, a chicken boat, I'm dying. And the, doctor sa and the doctor said, well, I'll do what I can. And he says, doctor, I'll pay you anything you want if you can just take it out. Well, the doctor takes it out. And he says, I'd like my payment now. And the guy says, you thought that I was serious? <laughs> there you go. Imagine, though, had uh, a Tesla uh, continued to work with Edison. I can't imagine how, with, with Edison's business sense and, and Tesla's just sheer vision, the world would be rem as remarkable as it, as it is because of those two gentlemen. I can't even imagine what, what uh, the world would look like today. We'll come back and uh, continue on with Bill Burns, co-author of Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, welcome back. Bill Burns stays with us, co-author of Edison versus Tesla, the battle over their last invention. And um, what was what was a Tesla's uh, version of of the Spirit uh, phone? Did it did it differ wildly from Edison's? Oh yes. What Tesla believed, and this is the this is the the early 20th century version of EVP, 
where Tesla believed, and it's also the early version, uh, the early 20th century, uh, 20th century version of C. SETI, what, what Tesla believed is that we were awash in different radio frequencies. Now remember, if you remember the old Superman comics, when Superman had to um, capture light waves from the past or capture sound waves from the past, he'd fly into space way outside of Earth and then turn on his super hearing or his supervision, and he would see light waves coming from Earth, and then he would actually see into the past, just like we do when we see a distant star system. Right. We're actually seeing into the past. Well, the same thing with sound, which we actually know about, because um, when two black holes collided 1.3 billion years ago, those gravitational waves just crossed the planet Earth. That's exactly what Tesla believed, and that proved his theory correct, that waves were eternal. And his, his thought was that if we could only capture the right frequency, we could listen to the voices of the dead. Ah, that's but a distinction there. He, was he not talking then about, uh, so in other words, there would be, uh, waves of every every voice, every voice ever uttered, uttered throughout history, but those voices wouldn't have consciousness, would they? They would just be echoes from the past. Yes, that's exactly true. They'd be echoes from the past. That's exactly what he believed. So that would negate two-way communication. Right. But at least he thought he would prove, because Tesla's version was, could we prove there's life on after death? But then he thought... What if we could transmit on the same frequency we were receiving? Ah. We could do that. Would they respond to us? In other words, was the consciousness still active, or was it simply free-floating? And that's why he was trying to ping the voices of the dead to see if he could transmit a message on that frequency, whether they would respond. Now, Tesla didn't have to worry about a board of directors and nervous shareholders, so I'm guessing he was far more uh, open about this research than Edison was. Did he write more about it? Do we have a better idea of what his device might have looked like? Yes, we do, because he wrote about it in his journals. And here's the fascinating part about it. Tesla had people spying on Edison... And Edison had people spying on Tesla. So as they both tried to develop their respective inventions for talking to the dead, they were each spying on each other to keep track of one another's progress. Wow. And did, uh, did Tesla, uh, did he get any closer to actually building? Because uh, as you pointed out, Edison had to sort of give it up, uh, this research. But did Tesla actually attempt to build a, a prototype, or was it simply theoretical on paper? No, no. Tesla did attempt. Tesla did attempt to build a prototype, and here's <clears throat> and here's what's so fascinating about that: where Edison ran into problems because he was accused of being demonic in his desire to talk to the dead. Where Tesla would run into trouble was he would run out of money. I mean, the problem was that Tesla actually managed to burn, talk about burn rate for new um, uh, proofs of concept. Tesla was running out of money at a phenomenal rate. Right. He, would, he would line up investments from J.P. Morgan, 
from uh, George Westinghouse, from other investors. But the problem was that he would spend money wildly, and he'd run out, and he'd go back to them for more money, and quite frankly, they would simply, they would say, look, the well is dry. I've spent what I could spend. Show me the invention. Show me what you have. Show me how it's going to make money. That's exactly what um, Chase, uh, that's exactly what J.P. Morgan once said to Tesla. He said, I don't understand this business of wireless transmission of power. How am I going to make money? If I give it away for free, exactly, you can't meter it. Would I invest? That's right. So he pulled the funding. He basically shut it down and said, "It's a great idea. I can't see where you make money." But but the back to the the, the prototype of Tesla's Spirit Phone. I mean, what would it have looked like? Well, <clears throat> Tesla's uh, it would have been a radio. I mean, it's basically you're looking at. What um, Tesla built uh, out on the edge of Long Island, that big radio antenna. Right. Uh, and he would try to find the right frequency for listening to voices of the dead. And in fact, he actually managed to build that tower. He actually managed to build a tower in Colorado Springs, and he actually managed to build a tower all the way out on the edge of Long Island. The, uh, the, the problem was that A, the neighbors complained, <laughs> and B, so. The Army complained because they believed, this is at the very outset of World War I, that they believed that the enemy, the, uh, the Germans, would use that tower for their own transmissions. So they just knocked it down. Ah. I'm wondering if Tesla's theories, or Edison's theories, uh, for this spirit phone, whether they were used in the creation of uh, what's called Frank's box. This is another device to, to communicate with, with the dead. Supposedly, I, I, I would allow for two-way conversation. Do you know much about uh, Frank's box and whether they borrowed from Edison and Tesla? Well, everybody borrowed from Edison and Tesla. But, but, uh, but Frank's box was more of a, a radio frequency device than it was... Edison's um, using light to ping electrons. Um, the thing about Tesla was that everybody, everybody tried to build off Tesla. I mean, for example, take, take radio transmission. Marconi might have been the first person to... Um, I mean, there was a race between Tesla and Marconi to be the first person to transmit radio waves, to transmit ra uh, waves uh, uh, wirelessly. Right. Now, the Supreme Court, uh, at the outset of World War II, Marconi held the patent. And it's funny, because the person who had worked with Marconi was uh, the founder of the national broadcasting company, uh, Robert Sarnoff. That's right. He, was, he had worked with Marconi. And that blossomed, and this is how this works, that blossomed into the um, National Broadcasting Network, which was a radio network. Eventually, that became, that was bought by General Electric, and that was founded by Edison. Now, Tesla disputed Marconi's patent. He said he was the first one to transmit radio waves. Finally, at the beginning of World War II, Marconi, who, who was a fascist, he supported Mussolini, 
wanted to charge the United States for patent infringement for using radio transmissions and not paying Marconi for the use of that patent. The United States took Marconi to court, and the Supreme Court ruled that Marconi would lose his patent. They didn't grant it to Tesla, but they ruled Marconi would lose that patent. Hence, Marconi, according to the Supreme Court, was not the inventor of radio. Now, we could decide who the inventor of radio was. Was it Marconi? Was it Tesla? Or was it a Canadian, Bill, Reginald Fessenden? That's exactly right. He was the other person involved in that patent who claimed he was the first to do wireless transmissions. And, and Tesla was probably also on the leading edge in terms of television you know, before the uh, the Russian inventor whose name escapes me. Uh, but, but Tesla also was, was probably responsible uh, for television ultimately, wasn't he? He was. Tesla in his journals wrote... And, and he made that speech before the um, Engineering Professional Society. He said, if you could transmit voices via radio waves, why couldn't you transmit images, video images, via radio waves? So he conceived of television transmission before anybody else. He didn't invent it, but he conceived of it. And in fact, in there's, a, there's this um, wonderful um, a comedy from the 1920s called Skidding. It was written by um, um, Oriana Ruverol. And in the play, this is the beginning of the Andy Hardy series that was made into all those Mickey Rooney movies in the 1930s and 40s. Right. In, in the play, Judge Hardy's father, this is in 1926, when it was on Broadway, the... Um, the uh, Judge Hardy's father says he's going to go watch television. This is in 1926. Wow. Holy smokes. Uh, you know, we just have a couple minutes left here. I just want to ask you, and I get this question a lot from, from people. Uh, in fact, my own Mighty Aphrodite asked me tonight before I left for the radio station, why is it we're only hearing about Tesla now? Uh, you know, uh, his, his name is not mentioned in any of the textbooks uh, at least certainly when I went through school, and I'm guessing it's probably the same today. Why has he really been uh, sort of shut out of, of, of academia in terms of, uh, you know, people what, what people learn in school? Well, people uh, know about alternating current, but the fact is that because Tesla was so far out on the fringe that he really, that uh, the Tesla, until I would say the 1950s and 60s, has really been excised from scientific history. He's always been seen as somehow paranormal. He was talking to aliens. He believed that, I mean, among the things that Tesla believed, and, and also his devices run counter to capitalism. For example, here's what he believed. Rather than have municipal power grids, why not have every house equipped with a series of mirrors that would capture the sunlight and amplify the sunlight to boil water. Well, if you boil water, that would turn a generator. If you're turning a generator, that would create electric, uh, electric power. So every house would have its own electric power. 
But that's what's being advertised today using solar cells and solar batteries. Exactly. Even the idea of simply decentralizing a power grid. Uh, you know, with all this talk of, of North Korea and an EMP explosion uh, and, and knocking out power grids, and you know, it, it's pretty dire uh, if that were to happen. If exactly. We had... I mean, about, uh, about eight years ago, maybe, yeah, eight years ago, um, Bill Scott, Mike Kamados, and I, Bill Scott worked for the NSA. He was in the Air Force. Mike Kamados was a Naval Commodore. The three of us wrote this book about what would, it's called Space Wars, and the sequel was Counter Space, and it was what would happen if, in fact, the North Koreans detonated a nuclear device in near-Earth orbit to knock out all of our satellites. Bill, you're uh, looking into a crystal ball. That's what would happen. We would be blind. And then in the book, of course, China takes advantage of that by launching a nuclear attack on the United States fleet. Bill, it's like you use Tesla's spirit phone and you, uh, you communicated with uh, the future or something. Remarkable. Bill, congratulations uh, to you and your co-author on uh, Tes- uh, Edison versus Tesla, the battle, o- battle over their last invention. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Why, I thank you. Thanks very much. Bill Burns. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When we come back, psychic, shaman, UFO, time traveler. She's all that and more. She'll tell us how to battle the evil eye, communicate with angels, travel outside of our bodies. Maria Dandria, next on The Conspiracy Show. <laughs> 